From Islamic Finance News, the world's leading Islamic finance news provider, this is IFN Podcast. Welcome to Values-Based Banking Journeys, a unique podcast offering listeners an opportunity to hear the very personal experiences of bankers from around the world working to reinvent banking and address the challenges we face economically, environmentally, and socially. My name is David Corsland, a banker since 1972 with a focus since 2009 on sustainable and values-based banking, including 10 years with the Global Alliance for Banking on Values. Since 2019, I've been semi-retired, but continue to provide commentary on banking at www.boomerbanker.com. Now, in collaboration with islamicfinancenews.com and mightydeposits.com, I am producing a 30-minute podcast focused on learning from innovative bankers the why and the how of sustainable and values-based banking an approach to banking that is critically important as we address the challenges facing our world today. For today's podcast, we are speaking with Az Ahmed, CEO of HSBC Amana in Kuala Lumpur. I hope you will be inspired to embark on your own values-based banking journey. And this is a quote from Az uh, that was in the uh, uh, Bat Nagara document on value-based banking, Islamic finance has its roots in creating social justness and promoting a values-based economy. This initiative, the Values-Based Banking Initiative, has the potential to create a platform for Islamic finance to lead the financial services industry into a new era. And I think that uh, that's great. Uh, and we were just talking about uh, commitment of senior management. This uh, from Oz is exactly the sort of uh, senior management commit commitments that you want to see. Uh, so um, with that, uh, I think we'll turn it over to Oz. And I believe, um, Andrew, can you clarify, is uh, the screen also showing Oz now at this point? Yeah, Oz is on the Oz is on the screen as well, David. Hey, Oz. <laughs> Good morning. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm not too bad, thank you. Um, okay. How are you keeping? Um, apologies for uh, the slight delay. I, I, I am, uh, as typical with uh, other CEOs, uh, I have no idea where I'm supposed to be and when I'm supposed to be there. So I, I, I had this in my mind for slightly later. So my apologies to everybody as well. Absolutely no problem. We're we're in good shape. So so basically, I've got a series of questions I'd like to I, uh, ask you as. We also have a, a Q and A function, and uh, people are, who are attending are will probably. Be, putting some questions up as well, which I'll uh, phrase for you. Don't, you don't need to be worry about worry about them. But why don't you start by giving a short personal introduction of yourself in your current role at HSBC Amana? Okay. Um, well, tell you have to stop me because when I start speaking about myself, I kind of, I kind of carry on. <laughs> so I'll, I'll cut me off when I'm going for too long. Uh, but um, my name is Oz. Uh, I'm from the UK, but I currently live and work in Malaysia. Uh, I have two children, a 10-year-old and an 8-year-old. Um, and uh, I've been a, effectively a career Islamic banker um, and worked internationally uh, across the Europe, uh, the GCC and Asia. Um, and uh, currently I'm the Chief Executive Officer of HSBC Amana, 
HSBC Amana is HSBC Group's only Islamic banking subsidiary. We have two banks here, a conventional bank and an Islamic bank, and I have the honor uh, to work in the uh, Islamic bank. So, so as we, I always think it's good to go back to, to, to basics. Um, I remember my first experience going to a bank. I, I was 10. So many, 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 many years, more than half a century ago, I have to say. Um, what was your first experience with a bank? And how did that make you feel? Was it a good experience? Were you scared? Were you excited? What, what was your first experience with the bank? Oh, I mean, I can, uh, my first experience uh, is the, the high street, uh, going into a bank and using an ATM and not back then, not a lot of people could use ATMs. So I felt often like kind of excited that, you know, one of the parents were going in to pull some money out of the wall. So that's my first uh, re memory. And I remember that we didn't always have an ATM card. So we only got one uh, when my mother started working. Um, and I think I was a teenager. So up until then, I was a young boy walking up the high street. I'd see these people using this thing. And uh, then eventually we got to use it or my parents got to use it. So that's my first memory of, uh, of of banking. And I thought it was exciting that we could do that. It certainly was. I, when I started banking, ATMs didn't exist. So uh, they didn't come around for, for several years. So so as a child, I certainly didn't have experience with an ATM. Even as a starting banker, they were non-existent. Um, uh, but you know what's interesting about that, though? So um, I remember we used the ATM and they used to be outside. But it was a, a lot later that we that we went inside. And I remember a certain amount of are we allowed to be in here? Which is super interesting when we think about the context of what a bank is, right? A bank is yes. a place that was set up by, you know, these important people and they could do something ultimately extremely special. Actually, it was an institution set up to gather money from everyday people, uh, the people that you and me see walking the street um, and effectively just everyday folks. So it's very interesting. I remember that memory of thinking it was a privilege to walk in to a bank and now having done my role, realizing it's quite a privilege for the shareholders to have the opportunity to take people's deposits. Yeah, though I, I, I'm afraid that far too many banks still think uh, of themselves in, in that old style of um, it's, it's, it's a privilege to let people use us. And I think that's uh, actually quite contrary to to a, a values-based banking approach, where you're really focusing on the needs of individuals. So that's it's interesting that you had that reaction, and I think that's the typical reaction of most people. Uh, so interesting. Um, what does values-based banking mean to you? So what's really interesting for me with values-based values-based banking is the uh, resolution of a cognitive dissonance that I had. Um, I would always be in banking thinking about its ability to distribute not just wealth, but funds in order to help. That's, that's what I saw the power of banking. But inside institutions, I didn't see those behaviors. In fact, they're very specific in their conversations people would be talking about shareholder value a lot of the times. So for me, what um, values-based banking is, is the resolution of that cognitive dissonance that actually banks play an incredibly important role in society primarily. 
um, and that and that should really be uh, a more central focus of theirs, along with, of course, um, shareholders and what they're trying to achieve with their capital. And and so so taking that a step further, what does that mean in terms of the biggest opportunity for HSBC, Amana, and you in implementing value-based banking? How do you take that into something real concrete? So the first thing is, is that we have to understand that societies are getting more educated and have a fuller understanding of things around them. I think uh, the internet and then followed by social media allows people to do that. So when we start thinking about effectively what is it that banks do, which is garner everyday people's hard-earned money, um, try to deploy that in a sensible way to make a return for them and the shareholders, um, what it provides is uh, an understanding that we're much closer to the banks and our customers uh, than we think we are. And that requires the brand to be able to speak to the customers in a method of trust um, and transparency. And I think that as um, customers start to push forward their influence on what brands do uh, with their money, I think values-based banking has the ability to be able to meet that customer um, aligned with understanding their importance and particular depositors here. Um, not just their importance, but aligned with what they would want uh, have done with their money. Because ultimately, when you think about banks, you have equity holders and shareholders, and they're very different. Uh, equity holders may be seen as, uh, so shareholders may be seen as the people who hold the share certificates. Equity holders includes the depositors who have a significant amount at risk if banks are not managed properly. And, and maybe taking that a step further, what does that concretely mean in terms of how you, you motivate your, your team? You've got lots of bankers at HSBC Amman who are uh, on a daily basis in contact with clients. What, uh, what, uh, what does that actually mean for what they do and how do you, how do you ensure they do it? Well, um, I'll, I'll speak more generally first before we're going specifically to HSBC Amana. I think that um, when people are specifically looking at the activity on the uh, credit and lending side, uh, what they have to understand is that they have a role um, to make sure that they're making the right decisions for the depositor. Right. So I think that that's that's a mindset mindset shift. What happens is, is that people get targets and they're foc laser focused on those targets. Right. So those targets need to be put into context, into uh, the wider stakeholder group beyond getting the right return levels, uh, because there's a further ramification. Uh, what happens if you make really bad and I'm just taking one example, which is credit and lending. What happens if you make a really bad credit and lending decision? It ultimately makes uh, takes an impact on um, the bank and its equity. Uh, then after that, the depositors, and therefore through instability, the wider society. That's exactly what it does. So people need to be cognizant of that as they chase targets, because then that will allow people to say, well, I know I'm chasing this target, but actually this is not the right. I know I'll get that in the short run, but there's an implication here. So it's certainly a mindset. Uh, set shift in order to consider wider uh, stakeholders. In order to do that, 
the thing is, is that it can't just be your frontline staff that appreciate and acknowledge that, or that's a thing that's going through their mind. That has to be enabled across the entire DNA of the organization from the folks who support, um, let's say, in finance, in setting the targets and what they mean, uh, the ability for the human resources department to understand what good conduct looks like when you're thinking about things from that perspective. So there's mul multiple touch points. I've just picked up a specific thing in terms of uh, opportunity and also um, changes in terms of what you need to have in the organization. But we can speak probably around a lot more of that. We can start to go into our product development uh, process. As we develop our products and we develop um, terms and conditions and we talk about the transparency of them and making it really easy for customers to understand what it is, uh, the fact that we don't try and find these intricate ways that uh, a customer may slip up and uh, and not get caught and so on and uh, that it's not caught that they charge something a little extra so all of these types of things is how um, taking that shift of I have a wider group of people who are depositors I can put faces to them because of the people we walk past in the street they're our family and friends they are us and then taking that into context into the decision making of the organization Okay. Um, one of the things that we'll be working with after uh, at the, at the final session from today with the, the attendees is building personal plans. And one of the things that I've emphasized to them is it's important to understand that there is board and senior management support for values-based banking, that that's a, a key driver for their success. Um, one of the things that I think always excites CEOs and boards is opportunities. So as you look at HSBC Amana and implementing values-based banking, what do you see as the two or three critical opportunities that uh, meet uh, the overall goals of HSBC Amana in values-based banking? Uh, so the first thing is, is appeal to um, the customer base. So if we look very specifically at who's going to be driving revenue and profitability, um, starting within the next few years, um, it's not going to be baby boomers and Gen Xs. It's going to be Gen Ys and millennials. They'll be driving a lot of the revenue, particularly in the retail business, um, for banks. Uh, when we look at that group, they are less loyal to a particular brand. They're less sticky to a particular brand. They will be happy to move. Um, something that speaks to that demographic uh, is definitely alignment of values. So when we talk about that, the ability to grow market share in um, what will represent the most significant amount of revenue and profitability, particularly in the retail bank, uh, looking forward over the next decade, uh, that's one clear, uh, obvious advantage. Uh, the second part around opportunity is the level of transparency uh, that we have um, within our product offerings and the fact that you will not slip a customer up on something uh, just to, you know, that's a nice way of making a little bit of extra money will allow you to have um, the stickiness in terms of uh, the products that you give them and the fact that they trust you and the word of mouth on that is huge. It's a, a an annoyance when you, for example, get a credit card charge you were not looking, uh, that you were not expecting, and you've spoken to the call center and they've explained actually it really is in the T's and C's and you're talking about it over dinner and somebody else has, you know, a completely different experience uh, around that. And I think that word of mouth is 
very, very um, positive. And then in terms of, which I think is probably the most important one, is around innovation. Because when you start to look at things from a different perspective and say, how would I do this differently, whether it's within your own organization or you speak to people to co-create or you come up with something very new that you're thinking this could work, but I need support, for example, from a regulator um, and so on and so forth. You're, uh, you're able to innovate. And when you innovate, you um, create the opportunity to grow an organization. So those are three kind of areas I would say straight away. One around appeal to a new and profitable market segment. Number two, around um, making sure that your products are considered best in class. Um, so certainly net promoter score piece there. And number three is driving in the more medium term, looking at things from a different lens, uh, innovation within your own organization from that lens. Uh, but also, and I'll give you an example. I'm going to give you an example in a moment of what innovation might look like. Um, within your own organization or actually you might co-create so one of the areas and here's one around um when you're thinking about things from a, a values perspective you you will be able to create different features uh, potentially into product development one of the areas that um, i've spoken about quite publicly is the use of social capital to support um, financial services products. So social capital typically doesn't require a financial return. In the case of Islamic finance, it certainly doesn't. And to be able to create some type of blended financing to allow people who just can't afford that 10,000 ringgits, for example, for a down uh, a deposit or 15, 20,000 ringgit deposit uh, to buy a home. And the way that you're looking at that is to say, how do I... Um, find innovation to deal with a societal issue um, when I'm thinking that actually my depositors, some of them are those people who can't have the 10 or 15,000 for the deposit. So if I was to try and build a product for them, how would I do it rather than just saying, okay, I'm just going to go after the, a segment that I know how to do just to get the numbers this year. How do I end up serving them? And then you start to talk to people. So, for example, the Bank Nagara has a, 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 a something called ITACAD, which is trying to get banks to use social capital, and they will try and help facilitate that. And um, then you'll be able to create a product or a service that actually helps um, uh, a different segment. And if we think about that segment, it's not. It's it's like uh, I've used this example a few times when I've said. When you walk into a room and there's a glass of water that's 75% full, that's a great looking glass of water. But when it comes to a bank, that simply is worth zero. And we have to understand that a lot of people out there can get to 75%. Uh, they just can't get to the 100 for the bank. And what we can do is co-create to find a way for them to get there and not lose the value of the 75% that they can bring. That was Sorry, that was a bit of a long one, but I just want to give people some a concrete I it's great to have concrete examples. And I think, uh, I guess, uh, I would just uh, challenge you that there's perhaps one other great opportunity. You talk about uh, the, the I, I, I get confused, Gen, Gen, Gen Z, Gen X, all the different generations, but also from a client perspective, but I suspect also from an employee perspective. And have you found that uh, HSBC Amana's uh, focus on value-based banking has been helpful from a attracting uh, the talent pool you're looking for. 
Yeah, absolutely. You've actually raised a very good point. I, I tend to go on the um, uh, innovation side. I always speak to clients and other people. That's the area that people want to talk about, innovation, growing market share, and so on and so forth. The, what drives innovation are uh, young people who come with, come with ideas, and then you've got slightly older people like myself who try and help them see how you navigate those ideas into reality. Um, and I think that, again, similar to the generations being less loyal to brands, I think they're less loyal to employers as well. Unless those employers are able to give them something that is aligned with their values. And I think, again, linking this point to the Internet and, and the immediacy of social media, um, they're allowed and, and so not they're allowed. They, they are more informed in uh, creating their opinions about what's going on and what they like and what they don't like based on you know concrete things that they're seeing i appreciate there's a lot of fake news and stuff out there but over time you get a, a body of information that you trust and um they can say well look this is okay with me and this isn't and i'm fine to be able to move on and do something else if i want to something if if the organization is not aligned to my values so i do think that um the point around stickiness or the new generation of customers is also the case for the new generation of effectively employees and those are the people who are going to come up with the ideas and drive the innovation after all so yeah i agree with that point so so taking this a further uh, moving on to sort of the, the the challenges um it's great to know what the opportunities are you you mentioned the fact that as as a older person, I have to say, I don't think of you as old, but then I have a, a different perspective on age. Um, uh, you can help them navigate uh, inside large organizations. What have you seen as your biggest challenge to implementing values-based banking inside not just HSBC Amana, where you have a little bit more control as CEO, but the, 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 the giant in HSBC that exists in the whole world. Uh, what's been your biggest challenge and how have you navigated that? So I think the thing is with, I'll, I'll use banks generally, a banking sector generally, because I think the HSBC is a little bit better when it comes to this, um, um, especially in light of the many of the sustainability commitments it's made most recently to become net zero from its financings by 2050. And that's a big undertaking for a bank like HSBC. But I think that um, I'll talk about banking generally. Now, I think it's okay to say that banking doesn't innovate. I don't think that's, I don't think that's going to be controversial. Um, and there's reasons for why that is. Um, but whatever those reasons are, it accumulates a certain mindset, right? If you can imagine a project being undertaken by a fintech startup versus the same project being undertaken by a bank, you know, I know what the odds makers would put in terms of who gets done first and who gets done more completely and what's more innovative that comes out the other end. So I think that the main issue, that uh, main challenge is, is that one, the reason why banks haven't been so innovative is that they're not open to new ideas for whatever reason. Some people will say because the way we're regulated, some people say we don't naturally attract the same type of talent. Uh, some people say very hierarchical already. Um, key people in roles who have a very set um, way of doing things and there's nothing you can do about that. I think there's a truth to all parts of that. So 
those are uh, infrastructurally the challenges. How can you take an idea and one, get it noticed, uh, and then number two, get support for it, and number three, positive action, uh, that, as in people are actually helping you with it? Because you can get something noticed and you can get support, which is like, oh, yeah, we think, why don't, why don't you go ahead? They might think you're crazy, but they won't say that and, or whatever it might be. But in actually getting people to do something across that agenda, um, that is the biggest challenge. And in order to make the change, uh, what you need to be able to do is persuade people. And there's different ways of doing that, but I think they all have to be done together. Yeah, your, your, your comment reminds me of uh, one of the uh, wisest pieces of advice I got from someone in risk management uh, probably in the early 90s. Um, and at that point, it was the, the big um, push in banking was bankers should be entrepreneurs. And uh, I worked for a bank that was very focused on middle market enterprises in the Chicago area. And the, the head of risk said to me, bankers should not be entrepreneurs. We should finance entrepreneurs, but we should not be entrepreneurs. That's not our role. I think that's a, that is getting at the core of what you describe as the, 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 uh, what is perhaps the conundrum for banks seeking to change to become values based. Cause at some level we're asking banks to change bankers to change who they are and asking leopards to change spots is not a very good uh, strategy. Um, so as I think how do you find within the context of banking, which by its nature is and should be conservative and prudent to protect, as you pointed out earlier, its depositors, at the same time making the changes that are necessary to be values-based that is uh, making banks fit for the future. So there's, a, there's an interesting uh, uh, sort of dilemma, conundrum here that we need to, uh, need to, uh, to address. Um, so moving on for, for, for the, the bankers attending this session, what advice would you have to them about how do they transform themselves? What, what did you, what did you do to transform yourself into a values based, uh, values based banker? So I think I'll break it up into two. There's one to explain our journey. Um, and then the second one is to say, you know, what can individual people do? Um, so when I uh, interviewed for this the role with uh, for CEO of HSBC Amana, uh, the two key people, one's a uh, gentleman, Mukhtar Hussain, who used to be the previous CEO of the conventional bank, and uh, Dr. Ashraf Iqbal, who was the uh, chair of the NRC at the time. And when I was interviewing, I made it clear that whatever we did with HSBC Amana, I would want to ensure that we were doing uh, having an impact on uh, particularly social issues, generally sustainability, but particularly on social related matters. Um, and I, I kind of almost made that a condition of me coming on board. There were other candidates as well for the role, so it was a bit of a risky strategy. Um, but both of them were incredibly uh, supportive. And, uh, you know, both uh, Mukhtar particularly said, you know, what we need is HSBC Amana to become at the front of the Islamic finance industry. Again, we've, we've lost a bit of pace over the last couple of years. So, um, and, and in case of Ashraf, it was very much, you know, we do need to do something in terms of change and impact. So that was one area, um, you know, kind of setting the expectation straight away with the board. Um, I will, I will just sidetrack a minute. And I think that actually the best way to drive this agenda is when it's driven by the board. Um, I, I, it's important, I think, that point. 
Um, so, but um, that dovetails back into what happened next, which was uh, unbeknownst to me, uh, there was an, a gentleman from the central bank, uh, Encek Zabadie, who basically I would say is the father of values-based intermediation. And he sat down, I was a new person and he had a conversation and it was basically that this is what I'm thinking of. And I was like, I'm so glad you've said that because that's kind of what I want to do, but I wasn't sure really how to go about it. I've got some ideas. So I think the central bank has a, a very important role to play as well in terms of driving these changes where you have their support. I'm not saying you you absolutely need them, but it's very helpful. And that helped at least align the board of directors in terms of, is our CEO doing something on this topic? Um, you know, and so, so that's helped. And then I think the next bit is, is to be able to have a number of firm supporters in key places within the organization to drive this. The reality is, is that you're not going to get 100% of people behind it. You're going to get another <laughs> number of people. I mean, if you're the CEO, you probably will have a lot of people saying, yeah, this is a good idea, but behind your back, they're probably not a good idea. Um, but uh, if you're not in the CEO's position, I think you're going to have people who will support and people who will not. But as long as you have a number of people who are passionate about the topic and will actively do something, that's also, I would say, kind of a prerequisite. Um, and, and that's certainly uh, what we had. We set up a dedicated role. We ensured that the entire Exco was involved. We had, you know, kind of an Exco. It was a, an agenda item, a standing agenda item. So these are the type of procedural and governance things we did. And we just kept educating folks. I remember, David, yourself coming to speak to our senior management um, of both banks, the Convention and the Islamic Bank. And, it was, and the feedback was one of the most engaging sessions they've had in a long time and thought-provoking. And we put budget aside to be able to educate people um, on this topic. So those are just some of the things that we did. Um, in terms of individuals, the next thing I will say is slightly controversial. I would say that if you believe, and I'll use VBI as an example, if you believe that your organization is only indicating something on VBI because they want to basically be in line with other banks, I'm not saying that's the case. I genuinely believe that the community of practitioners is is deeply dedicated to this agenda but if people internally you know feel that their organization is only doing it to tick a box uh, i'd change organizations uh, that, that would be my advice at an appropriate time don't go and resign tomorrow <laughs> but i'm just saying that you want to find an organization that's aligned with your values uh, i think that's an important thing for people to number one uh, consider um the second thing is uh e individually um if you're if you're in an organization that is already going down that road of vbi i think it's one of the easiest thing to do is put your hand up to whoever is the ceo who is responsible and say look i'd like to be involved in a project i'll give you an example we are looking at something as part of vbi and there was an individual who just worked in a completely unrelated sector, uh, 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 part of the bank, who just said, look, I'd like to do something. And when a project came up, we were able to get them to be involved. And not only were they, uh, it's a bit, it's kind of a bit sensitive in terms of what it is, because it's product related. 
uh, they were able to come up with ideas and innovation that that product team actually took on board. And it's almost created by this individual. So that was that's the advice that I would give people. If you're in an organization that doesn't, it's just lip service to this agenda. And I, I don't believe that any of the COP would be, but I'm, you know, I'm just this general advice. You probably uh, want to transition yourself to an organization that is. And uh, that's the first thing. The second part is, is that if you if there's something that you want to do and your organization is doing something about that, put your hand up as a volunteer and you might do it off of the side of your desk. Um, but guess what? Whatever you do off the side of your desk might end up becoming a, a full-time role. Okay. So as I have, I have two more questions, and I just want to encourage everyone who's listening, if you have questions, please put them in the Q&A now because we'll, we'll soon be wrapping up. Uh, so if you don't do them now, you won't have a chance later. But I have actually two final questions. The first question is, um, as CEO, uh, what do you need to hear from a coworker to drive a project forward? So someone has an idea, they want to push it forward, and they, they come to you as CEO and say, here's this great idea, Oz, how can we do it? What are the critical things you need to hear uh, to take on that a transformational idea? So I think that um, it is very important to note that if you want to get things done within any institution, you need to speak uh, the language of the key kind of hurdle that folks are going to have to run the hurdles with. So the first thing is, is that people have an idea and often one is to articulate what the concept is. Number two is to articulate how it creates value and what that value is and how you measure it. And one of those has to be commercial value, has to be commercial value. And the next thing to do, and I recommend everybody does this, just see if there's something similar out there already. Often people don't do that because when you look at, and I, I recommend people look at this, this is the Caldini approach to persuasion Caldiani or Caldini, you, you, you'll find it. If you put roughly that in persuasion in Google, you'll find it. One way of getting people to look at something saying, hey, look, here's this great idea. Here's how I think it makes value in terms of commercial value and otherwise value to customers, to you know, so on and so uh, to other stakeholders. But actually, although this might be a new idea, it's actually not that new because here's something that somebody else has done somewhere else around the world or here's something that... Um, somebody um, is doing that's somewhat similar. So that's a great starting point to get some attention. But then I think you need to demonstrate your practical capabilities in thinking through practical execution. So for me, that would be something like, and by the way, on this idea, I happen to engage with a bunch of stakeholders or internal stakeholders um, who have given you know, this type of feedback regarding it. I've incorporated this. And also, in order to practically do it, here's a suggestion on an implementation that is very much shrink the change. We're only going to do this in a very small to test this thing out, and this is how we would do it. I think that would be the um, additional value add beyond here's a good idea that somebody else is doing. The more and more you can take away from senior managers having to get involved in something that is a good idea because you've done the thinking, uh, the more likely you're going to find them. Uh, getting the support because the, the time's finite. So if you've done a lot of the thinking, the questioning for them, 
uh, and you've made the path clear for them, um, and you've shrunk the change, meaning that you've, you're thinking about, oh, trial this, try this really small and let's see where it goes. Um, you've kind of peer benchmarked it. When you've done stuff like that, those I think are always good in terms of raising uh, suggestions. So, so, to, so to paraphrase, uh, it's um, making sure there's a commercially viable proposition. Yep. Uh, have a very practical implementation plan. Yep. And make it easy for the CEO to be lazy. Yeah, I, I agree, a hundred percent. So here's the thing, right? That last point. And by the way, in there, what I would say is make sure what you've done is some type of internal vetting of the ideas so you've taken feedback. And also external vetting that somebody else may have already done this or something somewhat similar. Why it's important to make it lazy for the CEO is that they have so much demand on their time. And what they absolutely know is that something new will require a significant amount of more engagement and effort. So when you've taken that away, it actually makes it easier for them to, for them to say, yeah, I think this is a good idea. Can folks support this person, right? And yeah. once you've got just that verbally or in an email, it's effectively a license to go through the institution to get it to the end, right? And that's yeah. actually what you're trying to achieve. Yeah. So um, I have one last question, but I'll come to that later. We have a question from one of the attendees, which is, what could be done differently in the VBI space that could potentially contribute more significantly to the industry today? So uh, I think that the VBI space is very much a, a Malaysian context, but what could be done differently to contribute more significantly? So a few things, and I'll just do them as they come to my head. I mean, like, number one, I think it's not what you expect, but what you inspect that gets done. So we had this excellent uh, scorecard that we used before um, and, and it really was something that would was done in a manner that would affect change within an organization we need to bring the scorecard back uh, that's number one um, so, and that's about uh, um, kind of what you inspect and, and and going along with what you inspect I think there should be a level of uh, non-financial disclosure that the community of practitioners, note as mandatory uh, this is what i call topping and tailing the scorecards topping and the uh, disclosures are tailing of that but then of course you've got absolutely everything uh, in between now where i and and i'm kind of a bit of a product person uh, because i think products are really important in that you take feedback from customers and regulators and so on as you as you do that i think that um what the values-based intermediation group needs to do is uh, do effectively what Red Bull did, was to say, okay, now imagine I want to make a drink, but it's absolutely disgusting, and I want it to basically be the best, you know, the most popular drink. And that's that's what Red Bull did, right? And they made it a success. So why don't you turn around and say that, okay, I'm going to look at all of the uh, un, uh, you know, under or unbanked and see how are we going to focus on this sector? Um, and Impasa did that very successfully. Uh, I think it was in Kenya, right? Um, that's one area where the BAU of the business will continue doing the normal retail and corporate that we already do, but then actually put a concerted effort uh, as a community of practitioners on how do you actually crack uh, the unthinkable. Uh, the second thing I think is really important for them to do is blended financing and a much more effective use of social capital. There's a significant amount 
in the Muslim world. Now, if we're able to bring that into the financial sector to work along with financial services capital, I think the level of impact that could be created would be very, very high. Okay. Um, and then one, one uh, final question. Uh, it's actually a two-part question from my side, and then I think we'll, we'll uh, in advance say thank you for your time. Um, and this is, this is a bit philosophical, and, and this is, uh, is actually, what is your dream for the world, and how can banks and HSBC Amana help achieve that dream? Yeah, so uh, in this philosophical question, I will become a biblical so uh, there's a definition, or, or, or not a definition, an explanation of what um, heaven is. Uh, and in the Islamic tradition, uh, there's multiple things that explain that. And one of the explanations of that is that um, for a period of time, once experiencing or entering heaven, and it's a long, long period of time. The only thing people will be able to say is salam, which means peace, in that they feel peace. That's what they feel. And they feel it so much that that's the only thing that they can say. I think it's for an, like an inordinate amount of time. So why do I say that? Confucius once said that what our purpose on the planet is, is to bring the heavens down to the earth, which interestingly is also what um, is considered the vicegerency of humans on the earth to bring that order of the heavens down to the earth. So where am I going with all of this? I think that every day we have a purpose to try and make this level of heavenliness on the earth. All of us should strive to make that even better. Just think about it. We don't die from tooth decay and and issues anymore people did in the past uh child mortality uh you name it a number of people have come out of abject poverty and all the things and effectively that's what we're doing we're trying to represent that progress to that ultimate idea in this case i've used that description of heaven as complete peace and as we do that we struggle we struggle in doing that and that's in that's something that is on our conscience and our responsibility to do. A Christian would say that was our cross to bear. So if we think about that, how is it that we get to that ideal generally in life, but specifically since we're talking about financial services, how do we make that happen? And I think that that's the ability to give people financial freedom because it's such an important part of feeling peace and dignity. That would be doing things like, bringing in social capital, this is an example, there's many I could give, uh, bringing in social capital into the financial services sector to be able to get people um, to get to own their houses, number one, or to be able to get people some type of way to get a better health insurance or something like that. So that's what I think of the world, to bring the heavens down to the earth as best as we can. We are the agents to make that progress. And we know if we contextualize things like that from whichever uh, realm of thought, whether religious or not, um, to be able to chart that course. And then what does that mean when it comes to financial services? And I think when we start looking at it from that context, you'll realize there's a lot more we can do in financial services. Great. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, I hope this has been been helpful for, for the attendees. I'm sure it has been. And thank you for taking the time uh, 
to um, to join us and uh, greetings from Andrew and uh, Adriana, myself and uh, and everyone for being here. And thank you very much. And uh, I hope we stay in touch. I'm sure we will. Thank you so much. Uh, it's been great to see you again, David. And thank you to all the participants for your patience. I want to thank Oz for sharing his unique and amazing journey with us. A values-based approach to banking can provide critical support for individuals and enterprises seeking to make the world a better and more equitable place. We hope you continue to follow our series of the journeys of 21st century banking innovators who are working to support economic prosperity, environmental regeneration, and social empowerment. You can follow Islamic Finance News at www.islamicfinancenews.com Mighty Deposits at www.mightydeposits.com. And you can follow me at www.boomerbanker.com. New podcasts will be available from all three sites as they are completed. Thank you. Thank you for listening. For more discussions on the Islamic finance industry, log on to www.islamicfinancenews.com. You can also listen to IFN Podcast on your favorite platforms, including iTunes and Spotify.